If you want to follow along in in the message here today, I'm going to be reading out of James chapter 2. James chapter 2, verses 1 through 13 here. My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold rein and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes, and you say, you sit here in this good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit by my footstool, have you not made a distinction among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brethren. Did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now if you do not commit adultery, but you do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs. Over judgment. Um, I, I want you to think back to, to when you were in maybe elementary school, maybe middle school, maybe high school, but I'm thinking specifically elementary school. Think back to your favorite class, gym class. <laughs> I heard maybe two people that I think like gym class, and everybody else, there was a groan there. If you think back to gym class and, and maybe the game that you were playing was a safe game like dodgeball and, and you had to divide into teams, I, I remember always absolutely hating when they had team captains. Because what would happen, the, the teacher would usually, and, and, I, and it, this was my teacher, I don't know what kind of teacher you had, but the teacher I had, there was always favorites. There was always two captains that was his favorite favorite and he would call them up and then they would pick team cap and then they would pick their teams and they'd go back and forth. Well, what would those kids do? They would pick their favorites. So the teacher would come up, he would pick his two favorites to be the team captain and then those two team captains would always go for their friends first or the ones that they thought could win the game and that's how it would go until you had Josh Henderson, I mean until you had one of the kids who couldn't play last on the team. And that was always, it was always humiliating, wasn't it? Because you would sit there and all of these names would, would come back. And it was almost worse, not if you were the last, if you were the second to last, and they picked you with a groan. They, they would look at both of you and they would go, him. You know, it's like, you know, am I really better than that guy because you groaned when you picked me? We can both go over to his side. But that's what it was like when we were growing up. You, you, would, you, know, you were children. You still had a lot of growing up to do. And, and we would pick favorites. And the truth is, if I was ever picked as team captain as a kid, I would probably go and pick my best friends before I would pick anybody else. 
That's, that's just what you do. Well, James talks about this, and he talks about, in this passage specifically, the dangers of having that kind of mindset in the congregation of the churches. And so he's speaking to these churches specifically about the salvation that they have in Jesus Christ. And in fact, in the first verse, he says, Do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. And, and what he's opening up this passage about is he's saying, you have a precious salvation in the Lord Jesus. God has sent Jesus to save you from your sins, to forgive you of your sins, to bring you into a life with God the Father. That, that is a very precious relationship that you have. And James warns us, do not hold that relationship with God as an attitude of personal favoritism. Which means this, don't think that you were picked because you were the favorite among anyone else. Don't think that God picked you because you did something special to earn his relationship. Because if you have that attitude, you're going to give the wrong impression as to who God is. And also, James goes into, don't hold this relationship with God in an attitude where you play favorites with other people. Don't think that this gives you the opportunity that when people come into your congregation that you can say, I like him, I like her, I like that family, but I don't like this guy, this girl, or this family. And James warns that this is not a way to go about witnessing because how you live your life, especially outside the doors of this church, speaks volumes not only to, to Christianity as a whole, but it speaks volumes as to who you believe God is. And so when people see you living your life outside the doors of this church, you are actually living as a witness as to who God is, and you're living as a witness that when people see you, they say, that must be what kind of God they serve. So imagine going out into the community where you obviously play favorites and people see you treating some people good and some people bad. What you're doing is you're going out and you're telling people that God does the same when he picks his people. That God only picks the favorites. God only picks the good people, but he doesn't pick the bad people. And James warns, obviously, this isn't true. So you can't be doing this in your life because when people walk into the doors of your church and you're doing it, you're especially passing judgment over them. And James goes on and, and gives this illustration about what could possibly be happening in the church. And, and he says, imagine, if you will, a rich man and a poor man walk into your church and you decide that you're going to be partial to the rich man but not the poor man. So he says, imagine a rich man comes in and he's got fancy gold rings on and he's got a brand new robe that he's wearing. You know that he has money. And so you welcome him in, you put him in the best spot, and you make sure that he is comfortable for the service ahead. 
Now, the churches that, that they were worshiping in, they either could have been synagogues or they could have been house churches. If they were house churches, you've got a small space that a group of about 20 to 30 people are getting crammed in. So you can imagine if somebody says, hey, I have a better spot for you. You don't have to stand in the back. You don't have to sit at somebody's feet. Here, come forward. I'll let you sit by the window so you can breathe a little bit. And I'll let you sit close to the speaker so you can hear what they're saying. So James says, this is what you're doing with the rich people. They're walking into your church or your synagogue as you're preaching, and and you're inviting them to the front. You're inviting them to the place that that they're going to be the most comfortable. But then when somebody comes in who doesn't have gold rings, somebody comes in who isn't dressed nice, you're treating them like leftovers. You're treating them like an afterthought. They come in and, and you say to them, well, here, why don't you stand in the back? There's some room back there. Well, I I can't hear in the back. Well, I don't care, is basically what you're saying to them. It doesn't matter. You go stand in the back or here, sit at my footstool. And what James means by that phrase is that's where the slaves and the servants sat in households. They sat by the master's feet to make sure, do you need anything? So, so that would sort of be like if, if somebody came in and you said to them, well, I'll let you sit by me, but I need you to run some errands during church while you sit by me. I'll need you to go get me a bulletin. Oh, and I'll need you to go get me some water. Oh, and I'll need you to go do this or that. Do you see the disparity that James is painting here between the two people coming into their church? With one of them, obviously, they're inviting them in because they're rich, they've got money, they're well-to-do in the community. And the others, well, they got nothing to offer us, so we're going to let them sit by themselves or sit in the back of the church. And James warns that this is not the way that the church should be functioning. James warns that this is actually breaking the law of love. So he says that in verse 18, uh, when, he, when he quotes, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If you're following that law, you should be doing well. And so when, when James is referring to this, he's actually referring to this as most rabbis would. If you ask most rabbis, what is the greatest commandment or what is the commandment that fulfills all of the commandments, they would say, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus does the same thing. Whenever he's asked, what is the greatest commandment? He'll say, well, there's two and they're equal. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And so James is referring to this passage, which comes from Leviticus 19. And he's saying, your call as a Christian community is to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the fulfillment of the law. But when people are coming in and you're treating them differently... Are you not breaking that law? Are you not passing judgment on them? Earlier, he even makes the point, he says, if you're mistreating some people and treating others really well, are you not passing judgment on them with evil motives? And, and this phrase, do not judge, I, I think we've sort of watered it down here in our society because it seems like any time you speak truth, you're told that you're judging, Right? So, so if I were to go out and I were to say, well, the only way to heaven is through Jesus Christ, and if you believe anything else, you're not going to make it, somebody might say to me, well, I, I don't like that you're judging me. Why, well, I'm, <laughs> I'm not judging you. I'm just telling you the truth. I'm telling you the witness that I have. 
So we've taken this phrase, do not judge, and we've sort of watered it down to mean don't offend. That's not what James is talking here. Because we're going to offend people. Now, we're not going to go out of our way to offend people, but when we preach truth, it's going to feel a little uncomfortable. And so we're, we're going to offend people that walk in this door, but what James is talking about when he says do not judge or, or uh, when you're passing judgment over people, the word he's really do, using here is condemnation. He's using it as a word like a judge would use in a court case. And so he's saying to his people, when they walk through those doors, and you're helping some and not helping others, and you're making sure that some can hear the gospel and others can't, are you not playing God with their life? Are are you not condemning some to not listen to the gospel because they're not worthy? And aren't you uh, deciding that others can receive the gospel? That's not our place. It's not our place to decide who can hear the gospel and who can't. It's our place to go out and preach the gospel to whoever will listen. Whether that person is rich or poor, we're sent out to preach. And so James is making this point that when you decide that you don't want to preach to some people, but you do want to preach to others, you're actually passing condemnation. You're playing God in their life as if though you know what you're doing. And so James warns, this is breaking the greatest law, which is the law of love. This isn't loving your neighbor as yourself. This is plain favorites. This is plain partiality. This is making sure that some people will listen and others won't. And then he goes on with this law of love, and he talks about the importance of following the whole law. Because you can imagine at this point in reading his letter to the churches, somebody might object and say, well, listen, I do struggle with the law of love. I I do struggle with loving my neighbor as myself, but James, I I follow every other law. I follow the Ten Commandments. I follow all of the other laws that we're supposed to as as, uh, uh, Jewish Christians. I make sure to do that. And James points out, yeah, but if you're breaking one of the laws, are you not still breaking one of the laws? And he makes... He, he makes an interesting point here. I, I find it a little humorous, the laws that he chooses to use to illustrate, because he says, uh, imagine that you can brag that you don't commit adultery. So imagine that you're just going around and you're bragging to everybody, I have never broken the law of adultery. I've never broken the law where I've had an affair on my spouse. I've killed a guy, but I've never committed adultery. Are those really bragging points to be saying to people? Is that really something that you can say, well, I've, I've never broken this big law, but I have broken this big law over here. No, if you've broken the law, you've broken the law. And James drives that point home by saying, if you are, there, there was one man that gave the law, God. God gave the law, and if you break one of those laws, you've broken the law against God. It doesn't matter which law it is. And the truth is, there are some laws within the, the Scripture, or, or there are some sins within that, that's laid out in Scripture that are heavier than others. We know that. We know that uh, if you commit adultery, that is going to 
destroy your marriage. That is going to destroy your life. That is going to destroy your family's life. That has far-reaching effects. We know that that's heavier than maybe lying. That when the cop pulls you over and says, do you know why I pulled you over? And you lie to him and say, no, I don't know that I was speeding. You know, that, that's a sin. You just lied. So there's a difference between those two sins. One is heavier and far, re- far more reaching than the other. But have you not still sinned? And the point James is making is, you as a church, as he's speaking to his church, is he's saying you as a church cannot brag about being a church, about being a follower of Jesus Christ, and then when certain people want to hear the gospel, you don't let them. That that is the opposite of love your neighbor as yourself. You can't brag about following the law if you continually break the law. And then James reminds us of what a merciful life is. And, and he ends this section by talking about, uh, in, in 12 and 13, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So the point, again, that James is making here is, you are not to be the judge of somebody's life. You are not to be the one that speaks condemnation over them. You are to be the one that offers mercy. You are to be the one that speaks the gospel into their life. So going with this illustration still about not being the judge, if you think about your life in evangelism or your life in telling other people about Jesus, think of it as a courtroom. Okay, so if you're in a courtroom, there's different parts that you play. Uh, You're not a spectator, all right, because you're in the faith. You're in uh, the family of God. So you're not just watching the court case. You're certainly not the judge. James makes that clear. The Bible makes that clear. God is the judge. He is the one that he's going to hear the testimonies, and he's going to pronounce judgment over people. You're not the attorney. You're not the defense attorney, nor are you the prosecuting attorney. You are not there to defend somebody's behavior and say that God will be okay with you. God is, God is so loving, you don't need to worry about that sin. Nor are you the prosecuting attorney where you look at somebody and say, oh man, you're in for it now. God isn't going to be merciful. You're not there to defend. You're not there to prosecute. You're not there to judge. And you're not there as a jury. You're not there to listen to somebody's story and decide if it's true or not. You play the part of an eyewitness. That's it. Your job as a Christian in the courtroom is to simply convey to other people what you have experienced from the power of Jesus Christ. And so James wants us to be aware that if we, try to te- if we try to pass that judgment on people, we're playing the part of God and we need to be reminded that we're just here to tell people about the mercies of God. We're here to tell people that, that God loves you, that God doesn't care if you come in with rich clothing or poor clothing. God doesn't care what you've done in your life. He's here to save you. And so we have two applications here to this message. The first is a question, and the second is a statement. 
The, the first is, do we struggle with playing favorites or partiality in our Christian life? And I don't mean our church, because I really, I, I've seen anybody come through the doors of our church and you guys greet them beautifully and you guys welcome them into the church wonderfully. I mean this question for us personally to think about as we leave this place, as we go out and encounter people in the community, as we encounter people at work, at school, at the grocery store, are you showing favoritism or partiality to anybody in your life? It's a story I heard back a few years ago when Flint, Michigan was going through their water crisis. Churches were, were uh, picking up stacks of water bottles and bringing them into the city. And one of the stories I heard was that one of our Wesleyan churches there uh, got a ton of water and brought it in, and they were following uh, basically the rest of traffic, and they found a service center where they were giving out bottles of water. And so they stopped and said, is this where we can drop off water? And they said, yep, we've been distributing it. And they said, well, it seems like you have a lot. What about that apartment complex down the road? And they said, no, no, don't go down to that apartment complex. That's too dangerous. If, if they need water, they're going to come to us. And the pastor of that church looked at his people and said, let's go down to that apartment complex. <laughs> and they went there, and, and they said it wasn't dangerous at all. They passed out water, and the people there were thankful that somebody was coming into their community to pass out water and not making them walk all that way. So are there any moments where we can be reaching out for Jesus? We can be telling people about his love, and then we get to a point where we say, I really don't want that person to hear about this. Now, I, I don't mean, I, I don't mean, I want to be careful I say this, if there is a reason that, that you can't have contact with somebody, you know, if they've been abusive to you in your past, if they are a danger to be around, I'm not, those are special situations that you need to make sure that you're safe, you need to make sure that, that you're taken care of. I mean, are there any people or groups of people that you sometimes sit back and say, ah, I don't know how to talk to them, so I'm just not going to? I gotta be honest. God may be calling you to go and tell them about your relationship with him. God may be telling you to go and preach the gospel to their life because if you're not going, who else isn't going to speak to those same people? So as we leave this place, let's ask ourselves that question. Are, are there any groups of people or any persons in particular that we've not wanted to share the gospel with how can we go about sharing the gospel with them? How can we go about witnessing to them? And then finally, I, I want to leave us with this point as I close here today. It, it's a reminder of why we don't show partiality and why we don't show favoritism. It's because God doesn't show partiality and God doesn't show favoritism. God didn't look among all of the people and say, I like him, I like her, I don't like him, I don't like her. God didn't look at your life and say, wow, he can contribute something to the kingdom, so I want him 
to come in and be a part of my family. And God didn't look at you and say, you've got nothing to contribute. I don't want you to come here. Instead, God looked at everybody and said, I want all of you to be in a relationship with me. I want all of you to come into my kingdom. That's really what we're going out and telling folks. We're going out and letting them know that God is not a partial God. God is not playing favorites. God is looking at you no matter what you carry in life, and he wants you to be a part of his family. That's what we go and tell this community. That's the message that we preach when we, when we go out and tell people about Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you for choosing us, even us, to be in your family. We thank you, God, that you wouldn't look at our merits. We thank you, God, that you wouldn't look at our past and say that you couldn't save us because, Lord, you are all-powerful, you are all-loving, and you want to save us. Thank you, Lord, for calling us into your family. Thank you, Lord, for letting us hear the gospel. And as we leave this place, we pray, God, that you would show us the people that need to hear your voice, the people that need to hear your message, and we pray that you would give us the strength to go. We pray that you would give us the strength to not show favoritism, but to go and preach the gospel to anyone who would listen. And we pray this in your name. Amen.